Hello, and welcome to the Anatomy of Money podcast. I'm your host, Deborah Fryer, award-winning filmmaker, business coach, and accidental money mindset maven. Each episode, we'll explore the mind-body-money connection through the lens of ancient wisdom, modern science, mindset, mindfulness, and meditation. It's all connected. Tune in and find out how to expand your awareness so you can be free from the traps of the mind. Let's dive in. Welcome. I'm super excited that you're here, and I'm super excited to welcome today's guest. Today's guest is John Asraf. John is one of the leading behavioral and mindset experts in the world, and he's got this incredible ability to help people release their mental, emotional, and financial blocks that are preventing them from achieving their very best in their lives and businesses. And it is such a privilege and an honor for me to get to interview John because I have been through John's programs. It has really been transformational, and I can personally tell you that he is indeed master at helping people break through their mental, emotional, and financial obstacles, and I'm just one example of many who have benefited from John's work. He's written two New York Times best-selling books. Um, his books have been translated into 35 languages. He's been in a bunch of movies, including The Secret and Quest for Success with Richard Branson and the Dalai Lama. He's built five multi-million dollar companies. And now he's the CEO of Neurogym. And that's how I've come to know and love John Azraf. Neurogym is this really brilliant company that will help you retrain your brain using all kinds of stuff. And I'm going to let John tell you more about that, but I will just tell you it is some of the most advanced neuroscience-based stuff that is out there today. And he's helping individuals and corporations, and he's got a team of just stellar, brilliant people working with him, helping all of us maximize our fullest human potential. So John, thank you so much for being here. It's so great to be here, and you look great. So I want to thank you. I want to jump right in and tell the people who are listening because everybody is here because we want to figure out how to hack our brains and be more successful, more happy, have more free time. So what is the science around why some people make it and some people don't? How can we all make it using science? Well, it's great to be here, number one. When I help people, I love you the way you said it, you know, hack their brain. I think the first thing that we maybe want to start with is to help people understand up until about 15 years ago, we thought that we were born hardwired. Scientists thought that humans were born, you know, mother and father get together, they're intimate, and baby is passed on the genetic predispositions and makeup of mother, father, grandparents, etc. And one of my friends, Dr. Michael Merzenich, about 25 years ago, was doing some research on the brain. And when the technology to be able to see in the brain, whether it's the brain of a mouse or a human, became good enough that we can actually see patterns developing, they realized that the brain wasn't hardwired. We didn't come with this genetic code of how much we will earn, what we will be like, what our um, levels of intelligence or IQ or anger levels would be. What we learned was that, or what he learned was that the brain was plastic, moldable, and that regardless of what your genetic predispositions were, or even your conditioning from your parents, teachers, friends, TV, etc., you could actually re-engineer, re-script your brain by creating new maps. For example, like, you know, when, when you move into a city that doesn't have connection from one city to the next, they build a highway between the cities and then roads and streets and mini highways. That's how our brains are. And so when we talk about helping people break through to fulfill their potential, 
everybody has an enormous amount of potential and they feel it. But because as children, we develop beliefs about what's possible, beliefs about whether we're good enough, smart enough, worthy, skilled enough, capable, able to achieve certain things, those beliefs in our brain and our perceptions become our map. And then we consistently think and behave in ways that reference the map we currently have. And what I've discovered through a lot of my own trials and tribulations trying to overcome my own fears and frustrations and stress and, and, and not feeling like I'm smart enough or good enough, we are actually able to access or hack, as you said, the brain and repattern and rescript powerful beliefs and perceptions and habits that then drive our behaviors. And so that's the work that uh, our researchers do here at Neurogym. Uh, those are the programs that we've developed for people. And I know that regardless of what somebody is achieving right now or not achieving that they want to, if you work on the inner game, the outer game changes. So we've all got these maps inside of us, but why is it that some people are able to make a shift or it seems like some people can make a shift and other people just stay stuck? We've all got the same potential. How is it or why is it that some people unlock it and other people don't? In fact, the majority of people don't. I just remembered since I was sitting here um, that I had one of these above my head. And why am I showing you the Rubik's Cube? Well, the answer is because Every human being alive that can follow one or two instructions can solve this Rubik's Cube in less than seven minutes if they had an expert sitting next to them telling them, move here, move there, then move there, and then move here. And if we had an expert showing us exactly what to do, every human being can solve it. If we didn't and we tried to solve it on our own, there are several trillion different moves mm. on a Rubik's Cube. So the reason some people can and the reason some people can't is because some people choose to learn how to and other people try to on their own. Really simple answer. But it's no different than why is it that some people can drive and other people can't? You can learn how to drive. You can learn how to play chess. You can learn how to solve a Rubik's Cube. You can learn how to change your belief. You can learn how to get rid of a destructive habit and start a new one. You can learn how to lose weight and keep it off. You can learn how to be in a great relationship. You can learn how to make more money. Mm -hmm. But are you willing to switch from your current beliefs and habits and perceptions and comfort zone to learning something new again and being a clumsy beginner mm -hmm. at the beginning and practice it enough so that you can solve it within 10 minutes. There are people, just so everybody knows, that can solve this. Five, six, seven-year-old children that can do this in less than 30 seconds because they have practiced the pattern to solving a Rubik's Cube. This is a mathematical pattern. And you can learn how to do it. And so if it's a matter of changing the belief from I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not worthy enough, or a perception, it's not possible for you to, it is possible for you because somebody can show you how it is. You have to be willing to let go of what you know just enough so you can learn something new that you can apply and achieve that way. That's really the simple answer. It's not that it can't be done. We know it can be done. 
talk about what limiting beliefs are actually doing in our brain. What happens when we get scared? What happens like from the brain's perspective when we get into fear? Let's take one step back. Prior to fear being activated, the way that our brains work, and and that's really the work that we do, is, is number one, the number one responsibility of the brain is safety first. What does that mean? It means that anytime I want to do something outside of my current comfort zone, it's going to trigger a response in my brain that is the default mechanism of the brain to assess the risk first. Hmm. Can I get physically injured, mentally injured, emotionally hurt, financially hurt? Mm -hmm. And that information is percolated up from our memory bank to our conscious awareness. So as that memory of what could go wrong is brought to our consciousness, the neurons at the non-conscious level of our brain, the brain fires off these chemicals. And if there is real or potential danger, spiritual, emotional, physical, financial, potential danger, the resulting neurochemistry in the body gets activated in a fear or stress response. And in the fear or stress response, we feel agitated, we feel anxious, we feel like, oh, I don't really like that feeling. Well, that's the norepinephrine or cortisol or norepinephrine in the blood that causes that emotion, the energy emotion that gives us this sensation that we want to stop. So this happens in milliseconds. And so the average person who feels that goes, you know what? Ah, I don't want to do this. It's, ah, it, takes a long time. it takes too long. No, yeah, I don't, I don't want, want to be bad. I can't do this. I don't want to be disappointed in myself that I can't do this. I don't want anybody to see that I can't do this. And so we stop. And so the first thing to understand is safety first, energy conservation second. So as soon as the brain has to think, right, it's comparing doing this versus what if I need that energy, okay, to run away from the saber-toothed tiger, right? So it's always focusing on safety first, energy conservation second, And it will do more to avoid pain, to move away from pain or energy use, even if you have a goal for something you want to achieve. It'll do more to avoid the energy consumption and the uh, safety more than it will to go and make that call or make more money. And so when people don't have the skill to recognize what's happening in here that's causing them to feel a certain way, they will opt out of growth because it's uncomfortable at first. Makes perfect sense. We don't want to be uncomfortable, right? I'd rather be uncomfortable in my smallness, in my brokenness, in my invisibility. I'd rather stay in that familiar discomfort than get out of my comfort and expand and grow and make more money, be more visible. Right. And And so then the next stage comes up of the way we're talking about the mechanics is then you say, well, what if I do decide to be uncomfortable and I fail? What if I do decide to trust you and move forward and I disappoint myself again? What if I do try it again and I succeed and then fail? You understand there's over 50 different types of fear that our brain is processing right after that safety, okay, or right in conjunction with that safety is parallel processing. And it's trying to come up with all the reasons how you might get hurt. And most people, when the fear response center kicks it in their brain 
they don't have the skill of what to do with it. Fear is normal for everybody, but most of us have never been taught um, how to feel things and be aware of them and not react, but learn how to respond. That's a skill. Mm. Think about this. What would it take to get you to run into a burning building? I wouldn't run into a burning building. Freaking firemen do it all the time. Firemen do it all the time. You know, what would it take for you to drive at 280 miles an hour? Oh, you wouldn't do it. You'd die. Why? Because you don't have the skill. Could you learn how to go into a burning building? You could if you wanted to. Could you learn how to drive 50, 60% faster than you are right now? You could, but you may not want to. But the people who learn how to recognize emotions, recognize destructive or limiting mindsets and learn how to take small baby steps towards what it is they want with new skills on how do I manage these unpleasant emotions? How do I manage this negative chatter in my brain? How do I manage procrastination? How do I manage these destructive habits that cause me to spend more than I make or not to make as much as I want to, even though I know I can? For those willing to learn, there's not only hope, but there is a way. So let's hear more about that, right? Because you're one of the experts in helping people figure out what is that way through? So first and foremost, you have to start seeing yourself living and being and experiencing the success that you want. You've got to create a mental image first. So let me give you an example. Imagine if you went to um, Hollywood and you um, went to a famous actress, and you said to her, hey, do you want to play in a movie? And she goes, well, maybe. Well, don't you want to play in a movie? You're an actress. She goes, well, well, maybe. And you go, well, what, maybe on what? And she goes, well, it depends on the script. Now, why would a Hollywood actress want to see the script first? Because once she can see the script, she can then learn the lines, the role, the incantations, the posture, and everything else once she has the script, the vision first. She doesn't say, sure, I'll start acting. Nah, nah, nah. No, she sees the script first. So the first thing that we teach everybody is are you clear on exactly what it is that you want to achieve? You can wave a magic wand. Do you have clarity? Now, why is clarity important? Well, let's talk about neuroscience again. Every single person watching us has 35, 40, 50,000 thoughts a day that are random thoughts. From the morning they wake up to bits before they go to bed, before they even start dreaming, they have 35 to 50,000 thoughts. And those thoughts are basically the neurons, the brain cells, just doing what they do. They fire off signals based on 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years of patterns that have been formulated that fire off automatically. Wait, so they're not really random. They're based on those subconscious patterns. So they're kind of mm -hmm. in the line of what the habitual thought processes are. Well, habitual thought processes, but also triggers. They're either triggered by something internal or something external. So if a bird flies by my window right now here at the office, mm -hmm. it might remind me of being on the beach when a bird pooped on my head. Uh -huh. right? The associations are in right. here and every action that's external or every thought percolates another thought or network. Mm -hmm. But 
the point that I want to make is why do you start off with a vision of clarity? Because once you have that vision of what you want to achieve, you can actually instruct your brain to help you achieve it and find it. And that is through a process that we teach called priming your brain. Mm. And why do we want to prime our brain? Well, because if you don't, it'll just randomly have thoughts all day long. It just will not stop. And so one of the keys is to learn how to direct your focus, direct your attention. Be aware of what's happening in here because it's um, your brain. See, it's your brain. If all of a sudden your heart started fluttering a little bit and you had arrhythmia, you go, holy mackerel, something's wrong. I better go to the doctor. I better go to the hospital. Well, what about your brain doing that? What about your brain just firing off random thoughts all day long that aren't focused and got you looking at Facebook while you're looking at your text, while you're driving, you know, while you're talking to your, your child, while, while your radio's on, while 13 other thoughts are coming in and out of your consciousness every minute. The key then is to start off with clarity so that you give your brain the instruction of exactly what it is that you want. That's part one. The other part is great. In order to achieve that vision, what knowledge do I need? And I want everybody to remember something. How to. How to anything we already know. How to solve a Rubik's Cube, we know. How to do this live session with all the technology, we know. How to lose weight, we know. How to make more money, we know. How to build a business, we know. How to have a great relationship, we know. How to put a man or woman on the moon, we know. How to build a rock, we know. How to. But you may not know how to, but how to already exists for just about anything you want. So what's the knowledge you need? And then next is what's the skill that you need? Part one. Part two is what do you need to believe about yourself? Do you have to believe that you can do it and you will? Do you have to believe that you're smart enough, that you're good enough, that you're worthy enough, that you can learn whatever you need to learn, that you can find the help that you need? See, beliefs, what we believe about ourselves, and what we believe about the possibilities of doing something is what actually drives the behavior. But in between the beliefs and the behavior, we have emotions, mm-hmm. right? And so what are emotions? Well, emotions from a neuropsychology or neuroscience perspective are the things that are happening beneath your level of awareness that are processed at billions of bits per second at the non-conscious brain to keep you what? Go back to where we started, safe and conserving energy. So if you have a fear, as we mentioned before, of succeeding and then failing or disappointment or being ridiculed or ashamed or failing at that is going to stop most people in their tracks because they don't have the skill yet to recognize the core emotions and then what to do about them. So they're consistently in this repetitive cycle of reacting Mm -hmm. and feeling things that they don't want to feel. So they suppress those feelings or they move away from them. And that's what the average person does, not because they can't learn how, they just haven't because our parents didn't know, our teachers didn't know. All of the stuff that we teach at Neurogym is just stuff from the last you know, day to year of research that helps people master their lives better. First manage, then master. 
let me ask you two questions. How long does it take to retrain your brain? And how long does it take to break the habitual thinking pattern of not believing in yourself? So I want everybody to think about this. And, and as I'm talking with you, I'm looking across my office and I see uh, plugs, you know, where you, you stick an appliance yeah. in there. Uh-huh. And you could retrain your brain in less than one second by sticking your finger in the socket. And then in one second or less, you'll say, holy shit, that hurts. I'm not going to do that again. You've just retrained your brain. That equals pain. Mm-hmm. So you can train your brain or retrain your brain in one second or less. But when somebody's had a belief that they're not good enough for 20, 30, 40, 50 years or smart enough or worthy or skilled, whatever the case is, then think of it this way. Think of a garden and look underneath the garden, there's roots and those roots have grown over, let's say six months or a year or 10 years if it's a forest. And not only have the roots grown, but the roots have connected underneath the soil. And so one of the things we have to do is go underneath the soil, the non-conscious part of the brain, and re-pattern there. And what happens when you are letting go of a belief, it depends from person to person whether they're absolutely, unequivocally ready to do it. There are some people that say, yeah, I'm ready to let that go, but secretly they feel safe with that belief because they, they also have to combat, well, what if I let it go and it's worse than it is now? What if I let it go and I succeed and then I fail? So there's these competing beliefs and emotions that need to get aligned. And what changes the whole dynamic is when people upgrade their knowledge and their skills of what to do, how to do it, and they practice for 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, you can start to really see a new pattern formulated for people who train their brains every day for 10, 20, 30 minutes, like exercise, we call it inner size. Mm -hmm. You can see about, you know, 30 days to 60 days is when lights start to go off for a lot of people. And then within 90 days to 180 days, it is miraculous what people have shared with us in our community. And you've seen it because you're in there, Mm -hmm. how their lives change. So, You know, I would say based on the science, we're looking at, you know, 60, 70 days to 365 days. And that to me is the same as, you know, do you have 20 pounds to release or 200, right? Because if you want to release 200 pounds, well, yes, you can have surgery, but we're not recommending brain surgery. But if you want to do it in a healthy way, you probably want to release, you know, 15, 20 pounds a month, three to five pounds a week at the most, in a healthy way to reset, you know, the brain. And the same is true for money. How long does it take somebody to make an extra $50,000? Well, it depends. Like how much knowledge they have, how much skill they have, what industry are they in, what job do they have? Do they know how to invest? So it just depends. But I like to suggest, you know, if you're going to be doing anything, whenever I look uh, to reshift or reset some of my own patterns, I make a 100-day commitment. Mm. 100 days. Why? Because I've tried two weeks, I've tried 10 days, I've tried four weeks, I've tried six weeks, and 100 days. If I can get myself to do something for 100 days, just a little bit, for 100 days, then I've developed a pattern in the brain, a habit of doing it. And if I develop a habit of doing it, I don't have to think about doing it anymore. Right. So I focus on 100 days, but that's me. I'm going to stick with that. What I'm noticing in the, in the brain training space is that 
we will encounter something that creates some anxiety or some fear or some frustration, some limitation, and then we are able to work through it. And that thing is no longer a source of frustration or anxiety, but then there's something else. And then there's something else. What's the limit? Like, what do you see the next frontier is where we're going with brain and brain research? Well, if you think about monks who've meditated for 50,000 hours, for example, in their lives, the monks from Dharamsala, the meditator of the Dalai Lama, they do not get into a state of anxiety and stress and overwhelm and fear very often. And if something happens to trigger them, because they've learned how to be so aware of their external world and their internal world, because they've invested so much time at getting so centered, Mm. they don't live in a state of anxiety, stress, and fear. And so from a brain perspective, there's a couple of things that are happening. Number one is the information that we're sharing, you know, with the world, whether it's through books, our programs, our communities, and many other people do the same thing. People are becoming more aware that, hey, maybe I don't have to be a victim of my emotions or feelings or fears, and I can learn how to be aware of them and master that emotion, just like, you know, a woman can become a firefighter and go into a burning building. You're not going to get much higher levels of stress initially or fear. It just doesn't exist. So your life is on the line. The next generation of where this is all going is biometrics. And so there's a lot of people who wear Fitbits and there's a lot of new clothes that are coming out with sensors in the clothes that will pick up a galvanic skin response. They'll pick up a response from the skin. They'll pick up a response from the heartbeat or your heart rate variability or your EEG that'll be connected eventually, okay, that will be able to pick up deviations from normal in nanoseconds before you're even consciously aware of it. Those sensors will be able to send a signal to whether it's your watch, your phone, the room you're in, to the the appliance you have in your room to say, hey, Deb, hey, John, take six deep breaths just to make sure that you don't activate the stress response that we know has just kicked in. So everything is moving towards having an environment around us that will work with us to keep us in a calm state. The next generation, which is already happening right now, is the computer and human interface. There are already people with computer chips in their bodies and in their brains that are working with incredible computation abilities to be able to help them navigate their lives. That's where it's all going. Would you have a chip in your brain if you had the option? Would you want to do that? Yeah. Same reason I have a watch. Same reason I have a cell phone. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's this um, fear, and rightfully so. But think about somebody who's got epileptic seizures they can't control. Yeah. And they do deep brain stimulation and they, do, uh, they create a chip that goes into their brain that can send a little electrical signal, okay, in the brain that helps them with their seizures. Do they want a chip in their brain? Of course they do because it makes their lives better. Now, I totally, you know, believe in the moral application of it, the ethical application of it. And I know that us humans will cross the line. That I know for sure. But when I came up with my idea for helping people retrain their brain 
part of my idea came from, you know, me retraining my brain when I was younger through meditation and visualization and affirmations and then recording all of my stuff and listening to it over and over again to creating our programs that we have today. But the next generation where we're going is augmented reality, virtual reality, mixed reality, using technology to influence the brain and our experiences. And the next level of that, which you know, is already happening, for example, is connecting to all the information that already exists through a device. And whether the device is on your finger or in your brain, it's just a device, it's an appliance. Mm-hmm. And initially, some people will love it, other people will fight it. But when all the information is available to you on demand, and again, I'm talking about you know, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 30 years, and I'm writing about this in my book, Inner Size. Once people start to see how it will make their lives a hundred times better if they use it properly. Remember, there's constructive and destructive stuff. Mm-hmm. And anything can be used. You can use a car, okay, to go kill people, and you can use a car to go across the country to have a great vacation. Right. So everything, you know, I could use this Rubik's Cube to teach somebody, you know, how to use their brain, but I could also use this Rubik's Cube to kill somebody by hitting them over the head or in the right position. So, so I want people to understand it's, it's the application of stuff that's really the key, the key here. And computers and chips are going to help us integrate more of what we want so that we're healthier, happier, more connected, or less connected if we want to be less stressed, more intelligent, information at our fingertips. I mean, if you think about, you know, when, when we were kids, you and I had to do math by hand, right? Yeah. Or by, you know, by writing stuff. Yeah. When I ask my children, hey, do you ever do math on paper? They go, why? When we have our phone. Right. We went from paper to calculators to phones, and a lot of what we've been using our brain for the next, you know, 20, 30, 50, 100, 500 years, 1,000 years will be totally different than what we're using for today. One of the things that you are so passionate about that's really your life's work is this program that you have created called NeuroGym, and within that, there is this awesome experience that people can have, which is called the Brainathon. So um, will you just share a little bit more about that? Because not everybody has had experience with it, and I would like to share it. Sure. So when, when I started NeuroGym, the reason I started NeuroGym was because I was really frustrated in knowing that I had so much potential my whole life, and I was in like incrementally getting better and then falling back and getting better. And, and so when I started to do the research on why my employees, for example, I had one company that I owned, I had 1,500 salespeople. And we were stuck at a billion dollars in sales, even though I knew, based on the market research, we could do four or five billion. And so I want to understand, why do we get stuck? Like, what creates a ceiling, let's say, of 100,000 a year in income for one person, and another person with more intelligence making... 25,000 or 35,000. I was like, why? This person has all the knowledge. And that's what I got into the brain research. And in going to the brain research and the psychology research, I met a lot of really amazing scientists that had phenomenal information that the world needed to hear, but it wasn't readily available because they didn't know how to take their message to the world. And that was one of my gifts. I wrote books, I got into movies, and, and I was able to do that. So I decided to do something called a brainathon where I would bring people, brain scientists, neuropsychologists, experts in how the brain works, how emotions work, how habits work, and how to take the best research that's tried and true, evidence-based. Let's teach it to the world 
so that people could overcome their limiting beliefs, their limiting habits, their lack of confidence, their lack of certainty, their fear of success or fear of failure, fear of disappointment, fear of being ridiculed or ashamed. Most humans have felt that. And I don't want people to feel that. I felt that as a kid and as a young adult. And I want to help people have more love, more kindness, more compassion uh, for themselves and for others and to take the knowledge and skills they have or that they can get and go and live an amazing life. And that's one of the reasons I wrote my first book called Having It All. I want people to be happy, healthy, wealthy in every area of their life. And so I started the Brainathon. Then I bring on some of the most brilliant people who know how to teach. And then we share with people how they can retrain their brain using some of our brain training programs. And that's what we've helped over 50,000 people just in the last few years do. What I can promise everybody is, if you like what we've been talking about today and it makes some sense, then upgrade your knowledge and skills because your power center is right there. I mean, you know that. And so when you learn how to use it better, um, then you can achieve more. And that's really you know, what I like. There, there's something that I learned many years ago when I lived in Indianapolis. I met a guy who uh, loves cars and I was never into cars. Like I just need a car to get from here to there. Um, but this guy said, do, do you know what a governor is? I go like governor of a state. He goes, no, no, on a, on a car. And I said, I had no idea. And he showed me a picture of um, a governor. It's this, it's this contraption that's part of the engine block on the car that limits how fast a car could go. And they used it to keep kids from going too fast. And so he said, if the governor, if you have a car that can go 150 miles an hour, but there's a governor on it and it's set at, let's say, 50 miles an hour, it won't go past 50 miles an hour, even though it can go 150. Is as soon as you take the governor off, you can press the gas and it'll go 150 miles an hour. And I'd like to suggest for people to think about this. Do you feel like you have more potential? Do you just feel and you know you have more potential? Most people tell me, yep, I do. Oh, what's holding you back? And the answer is you have governors in here, in your brain. And the governors could be beliefs. Governors could be destructive habits. The governors could be fears. The governors could be, okay, fill in the blank, and you know what it is for you. Once you recognize what it is and you learn how to get rid of it, all of a sudden, you can put your foot on the gas and you can go. You don't have to go faster, but you can definitely achieve more of your potential. And that's really what we want to do, is help more people achieve more of their potential. And that's why we do the Brain-A-Thon, to help them do that. Well, thank you so much, John. You are super inspiring as always and knowledgeable and really fun to chat with. And it's really just such a blessing and a privilege for me to have you participate in this interview series, but also just personally to be one of my mentors. So thank, thank you. you so much. And then I've got to let you know one thing. I don't do a lot of this for a lot of people. The reason I said yes to you is you are so inspiring. You take action. You are not afraid to grow and to learn and to become more so that you can have more. And now that you've become more so you can have more, you're giving more. And that's why I'm doing it. I'm supporting you because you're an action taker and I appreciate you so much. So way to take action and step up and be an example. You know, there's a lot of people who could talk about it, um, but there's very few people who actually talk about it and do it to become an example. And you are, and I'm so proud of you. Oh, thank you. Do you see tears? You can see tears right here. Really, I'm so, so touched. And I have to say that like this is, it's a big stretch and I have been doing a lot of inner sizing every single day. 
because really all I can do is have that inner conversation with here's the fear and so what, right? We're here to give more. We're here to serve more, have more influence and be beacons of joy and optimism and, and what's possibility, right? Right. It's possibility, right? It's like, you know, everybody, I know this. I mean, I, I, I meet people all over the world. Everybody feels there's something in me, okay, that I know I could do better and be better. I know it. But there's something holding me back. And you're making a difference in people's lives by showing them that we know the answers. We've been there. We're, we're there. And we know how to do it. Once you learn how to do it for yourself, you want to share it with other people so they can do it for themselves. And that's the fun part of what we're doing. That's the truth. You know, and you went from developing Remax real estate to this real estate, which is really the most valuable real estate there is on the planet, right? You got it. Yeah. Well, thank you. Much love. Thank Much you. Much love back to you. Thank you so Have much. Have a beautiful you. day. You Thanks too. Bye bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Anatomy of Money podcast. If you loved what you heard today, please subscribe and leave a rating and a review. Could you help us grow this podcast? If you're listening right now, please grab the link and share it with three friends who'd also love to be free of the traps of the mind. When we change the way we see the world, our whole outlook changes. Peace is an inside job and you're hired. Thank you so much for listening.